0: it's trying to spark contentment passion seeing another way to live for other people being a a role model like i'm being blind having a guide dog it's i think jason passion for me my, my passion is maybe showing that you can do something it's only your own fears that stop you from doing it and if i can lead and show look what i've done and people can go hey look at him, he's blind and he can do it, maybe he will inspire them to, to have the courage to try things for themselves. And that alleviates then my suffering, my, my, my lack of sight then suddenly has meaning. And back to we started, we might as well end with Viktor Frankl, life search for meaning, or man's search for meaning. Um, when we have a reason, when we have a why we can put up with any how, it diminishes I don't feel that I am lacking like the broken pot it's now something that I can use to help other people to be more content and if they if that happens even for one person then I feel better so that's my passion is to try and show people that there is another way of living when they're when they're struggling
1: welcome to the chasing passion podcast my name is Dom and I'm your host Each week, I bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. My mission, my goal, my duty is to interview people who are following their passion and make a living from it. Instead of using the expression finding your passion, I like to use the term chasing passion. This means you have to experiment and try things over time until you eventually find work that you enjoy doing and that you're good at it, which ultimately becomes your passion. Of course, our interests, what we enjoy, curiosities might change over time, which is why it's an endless pursuit, which is why me chase I appreciate every single person who listens to this. I mean, there are so many podcasts out there and the fact that you choose to listen to this particular podcast is is huge for me and i just want to say thank you i really do appreciate it if you wish to support the podcast the best way to do so is by leaving a short review or rating on apple Podcasts. you can do so by searching chasing passion on apple podcast and you'll find it right there this week we're joined by dave delaney who's a programmer at university college dublin and has been teaching meditation and mindfulness over the past five years He recently launched his own YouTube channel, which is called The Mindful Spark, where he'll be sharing practical tips and techniques that have helped him live a more meaningful and enjoyable life. Dave has overcome many obstacles and challenges in his life. Despite being blind, he's doing his second masters, has a black belt in Taekwondo, written books, started his own YouTube channel, and that's just to name a few. Back in 2018, a friend of mine asked me if I'd be interested in attending a mindfulness class. I've never done something like that before, but I said yes. Well, that class was led by Dave, and during the class, he pointed at the flaw in my thinking. And ever since that day, my mind has shifted completely, and I started learning learn more about mindfulness, living the presence, and it's just genuinely made a huge difference to my life. So I just want to say thank you, Dave. You can find Dave by searching The Mindful Spark on YouTube, and whenever the books and the other projects that he's doing are released at public, I'll update the show notes, which can be found on ChasingPassionPodcast.com 4 slash 60. Thank you so much for listening, and without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tom. Look, thank you so much for doing this, and before we begin, I just want to say thank you, because about two years ago, a friend of mine asked me if I'd be interested in going to a mindfulness class. and I've never been to a mindfulness class before, and you know I wasn't really sure whether or not to go by went and you were actually doing the mindfulness class and after the meditation you pointed out the flaw in my thinking and ever since that day I just started learning about mindfulness living in the present moment and it genuinely made a huge difference in my life and I just want to say thank you for actually doing that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure it's nice to hear that because it kind of makes it all worthwhile you know a lot of time people see maybe a, a mindfulness meditation teacher sitting up there and it seems natural enough but it takes years of practice and an effort and learning to get to that point for us mm. and when somebody comes back and says hey you made a difference then it, it makes it all, all worthwhile
1: yeah it does yeah no it made a huge difference in my life and i just want to know what's your origin story and um, how did you get to this point like um yeah what's your background and context just, to provide, just to provide some context to the listeners. Um,
0: well, I suppose there's two types of people that end up going down the contemplative <laughs> road. And they're either wise people who, from the beginning, early on in their life, they knew that there was something resonated with it, and then they followed that path. But more often than not, there's people like myself who it usually takes a traumatic event or trauma or, or a tragedy to kind of force us down the contemplative route. mm And for me, I came back from a holiday, a skiing trip, and was feeling very tired. Went to the doctor, and he suggested I eat more fruit. Mm. And um, I went home, got into bed, and I more or less got out of bed seven weeks later. So I was sleeping 22 hours a day, and probably had something like glandular fever that ripped through my system. And so the hospital didn't know what happened. They just could see the consequence of it. And after that, it completely changed the direction of my life because prior to that, I would have used the gym, drinking, constantly being busy to distract myself from my own, my own self. Mm. Like not sitting quietly. Like that was torture. I was terrified of being quiet and being with myself. And then suddenly I found myself where I couldn't go to the pub. Couldn't go to the gym, couldn't do anything that I used to do. And that was a very, very difficult time. And of course, if you can't do live the, and do the simple things every day, you get depressed. Mm. And people would go, Is it in your head? And she Of course it's in my head. I can't do anything. Mm. Of course it's you know, so is it a body, is it a mental thing? They feed on each other. But I heard two psychologists on the radio talking about happiness. And they were trying to come up with a list of maybe 10 things that we could all do that wouldn't guarantee happiness, but would certainly go and point us in that direction. And that got my interest because I was thinking very negatively at the time. Everything was dark. Everything was a problem. Everything was a challenge, difficult like at times I was so tired, I'd be going up to bed and I'd have to sleep on the stairs because I hadn't got the energy to make it all the way up. Mm. I remember it making a sandwich and I was so exhausted just making it. I had to lie on the floor, go to sleep for an hour and a half to wake up, to have the energy to eat the oh sandwich. So um, it left me with chronic fatigue. And after hearing the two psychologists on the radio, it just nudged me to start trying to listen out for positive things. Hmm. So they talked about the value of smiling. I had literally forgotten how to smile. Even when I tried to smile, my, <laughs> the muscles in my face nearly fought against them because <laughs> I was so frowning for a long time. And, you know, they said things like looking after something, even if it's a plant and it's interesting. Studies are showing in nursing homes, if they give uh, residents a plant to mind, and they say, your job is to water it. They tend to be healthier and live longer than those right. who don't. So I think in, in uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl talks, one of his key points is that um, when, when we have meaning, then it, people are, are much more likely to go on. So what is it? When, when we have a why to live, we can put up with any how. So if we have a purpose... Even minding something, you know, or somebody. So Mm. that kind of led me down to moving into the Tai Chi. And um, I went to a Tai Chi teacher here in UCD, uh, Professor Alan Peatfield. And he turned out to be a Taoist meditator and was running classes in it as well. And I joined that and I've been attending for the last 20 years.
1: Wow. Um, is I think I've met Alan before actually because I was doing Tai Chi in my modules as well as a module and Alan and Hamish were, that's right were the instructors there yeah, so yeah. really really cool guys and I'm very curious to know like what were you like as a child because the reason why I asked that question is because I think as, as children we naturally gravitate towards the things we're naturally born to do in a way and I'm curious to know what were you like as a child now of course it's probably hard to remember but we're just like do you have any like idea of what you were like as a child what were you interested by what were you curious about
0: like many children i knew exactly who i was until i became a teenager (laughs) and it all changed (laughs) and um, my mother tells a story of there was there was a guy used to live down the road and he was causing a lot of problems and he was getting into a lot of trouble and she said right that's it You, you can't play with him anymore And I turned around to her, I think it was seven at the time, and said, well, if people like me don't play with people like him, what chance is he ever going to have? He's only going to be hanging around with people who are trouble as well. And Mm. I seemed to have a clarity when I was younger. And then once I became a teenager, I think a lot of insecurity crept in. So I lost, I became legally blind when I was eight. Mm. And so did my brother and sister. And my younger sister, luckily, wasn't affected by it. But I think after that, there was probably a lot of uh, Pinocchio syndrome. You know, I wanted to be a real boy.
1: Hmm.
0: Now, we could see enough to get around. We could cycle. I could even play uh, football. But I, no facial recognition and couldn't read anything. So initially, we'd read with a magnifying glass. Hmm. So wouldn't be able to see numbers on buses or anything so for all and purposes we looked uh, normal we looked able-bodied but we weren't right so there was i think maybe a sense of living a bit of a lie you were trying to hide it all the time and i think that deeply affected me and uh yeah that certainly led me down one path
1: and do you like it's a it's a it's a story, I'm not even sure what to say, but um like do you think mindfulness and you know this practice that you practice now, do you think that helped overcome all of that insecurities, you know, challenges that you had, the obstacles you had? Absolutely. Mm. Um like
0: the process of meditating really is or meditation is to go into to be introspective, to mm. look inside yourself because Many of us, and particularly people who are suffering, it's me, me, me. The world is doing this to me. This happened to me. And we can get stuck in that frame of reference. Mm. And initially, when you're learning to meditate, you're just learning to breathe, to get embodied, to feel your feet, to try and quieten down the busy head. And then you might start looking at the types of thoughts, emotions and bodily sensations that you have. And as you work through those and maybe start labeling what, what thought patterns you have, what the same story loops that are going around, it gives you a chance to start resolving them. And as you start resolving them, then you can move into a slightly more uh, compassionate or em- empathetic space where you're able to forgive a bit more. But then the interesting thing is the next stage is you often get to look at what you've done. Mm. And suddenly, like we've all hurt people, maybe not on purpose, but there's cause and effect. So if you take an action, there's a, there's a cause. If you don't take an action, there's also a cause. Mm. And it's learning then to deal with your own stuff. And every... I haven't met anybody who doesn't have... Some level of insecurity, vulnerability.
2: Yeah, uh,
0: the d- desire to to overcome something, and the meditation is a really nice way of working through those. And when when you sit with your vulnerability, often you can f- turn it around and make it become a a positive. Mm. So there's a lovely story I use in one of the classes where I talk about uh, um, in India there was a water bearer and every day she'd put a pole on her shoulders and she'd have two pots, one on each end of the pole. And she'd walk down a path and fill the pots full of water. Mm. And then she'd walk back up the path to her mistress's house and pour the the water into into barrels. Mm. Now one of the pots had a crack in it. Mm. and this went on up and down the path for about a year and the pot finally got the courage and said please, I I feel ashamed I'm broken, there's a crack in me and you're doing all this effort and work trying to to carry me up up back to the mistress's house but look at the other pot, it's perfect and it's still full when you get here but I'm half empty you throw me away I'm, I'm useless, I'm no good and she smiled at the pot and said, tomorrow when we go down to the path, I want you to look around you. So the next day, she puts the pole on her shoulder and off. They go down the path and she fills up the, the, the two pots and she's carrying back up. And when they get back to the house, she said to the pot, well, what did you see? And the pot said, well, I saw beautiful flowers on, 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 on my side of the path. And it was lovely, and the fragrances were magnificent, but I'm still useless. Like, I don't see how that changes anything. And she smiled, and she said, I know that there's a crack in you. I know that you drip water. So on your side of the path, I planted all those flowers. I planted the seeds, and your water is what helped them to grow. If it wasn't for your crack, my mistress wouldn't have the beauty on her path, and fragrant flowers to, to grace her house wow. so as Leonard Cohen said if we don't have cracks how does the light get in now it takes a period of time to be able to get to that point, you can't just say to somebody who's got a vulnerability, oh you know what you should do is look at that as a positive <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's, it's like saying to somebody you know what you need to be is happy now you do, happiness is something that has to be in this point in time But if you're dealing with somebody who's who's deeply unhappy, telling them they need to be happy now is a bit like telling a drunk person, you know what you need to be is sober.
2: Mm. You know, it's not helpful. So Mm. how
0: do you help somebody transition? And it's another lesson we can learn in the mindfulness and meditation is for many people who've got busy heads, suddenly getting them to sit still and be quiet is absolute torture. Mm. Because all their fears and demons and vulnerabilities suddenly hit them. So certainly in the in the eight week course that I developed, I try and make it easier to transition people from a busy mind, from a busy body, slowly into that space where they have the tools to have the see they have the courage and the strength to deal with their stuff. Mm. Does that answer your question?
1: It does. <laughs> And you know for somebody who's never done mindfulness or meditation or never even heard of these words <laughs> no experience with this whatsoever um, how would you like how would they how should they start their journey on mindfulness with meditation how would you guide them it's
0: probably the most important thing is your intention intention right so if we don't have an intention to look after ourselves and be better to be to be more content more more healthy and, mm. and this is a this is a fundamental error that many of us particularly in this modern society have well there's two we believe that happiness is something that comes from outside of ourselves it's an external event when i get that new car i'll be happy when i li- get that mm. promotion i'll be happy when i get that job i'll be happy when i when i mm. and it feeds in with the when you're in primary school you want to get this Senior school, when you're senior school, college, undergrad, postgrad, postgrad, job, job promotion, big pension, suddenly, then I'll be happy, and happiness is something we need to strive for today. Hmm. Um, and, and there are simple things everybody can do to to get to those points. so the two things, the fundamental errors are we need something outside of ourselves to give us happiness. And the other is that happiness is something that comes at a later time. So if we can change those round and say, can I learn to be happier in myself? Mm. And can I strive to make me a little bit healthier and happier? Mm. So the Stoics are really good at this sort of stuff. Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, uh, Seneca. Really practical things. You want to be, have a better life? Get up earlier. So what I do now is I say, okay, what do I really want to achieve for myself in the day? Mm-hmm. So I'd like to do a bit of meditation. I'd like to do some Tai Chi, do some yoga. Mm-hmm. So get up in the morning. They're the first things I do. And then it doesn't matter what happens in the rest of the day. When you I go to bed bet. at night, close my eyes. and I say, how did you get on today? Did you get to do what you wanted to do and if you can say yes that's very rewarding and you get little dopamine burst mm. you know it's good for the serotonin putting in things like okay was I kind to somebody today including myself so you can start doing something really simple like that because most of the time we prioritize other things ahead of our own wellness so I was talking to a, to a person I know, and she was having challenging time with her children. Mm. And she was just saying, oh, look, I'm just really struggling to cope. And I said, well, what's happening? And she talked about the morning getting ready. And she waked them up, and she was trying to get them to put their clothes on, and they'd struggle to put their clothes on. But she was thinking about breakfast, and she'd finally get their clothes on. And at breakfast, she was talking, thinking about getting into the car and trying to get them as fast as she wanted to get to the office. And I suggested, well, how, how about you get up five minutes earlier tomorrow when you wake them, play with them as they're getting dressed. Help Get them to pick out some of their clothes. Mm. Make it a, an interactive process. And be there. Because if you're putting on their clothes and thinking about breakfast or you're having breakfast and you're thinking about driving to work, you're not there with them. And they're trying to get get you to recognize mm. that. And After speaking to her, said, "Yeah, that would that made a huge difference." And that's this is something I think Marcus Aurelius talked about in Meditations. And he'd say, every time he'd kiss his children goodnight, he'd say, "This could be the last time." Hmm. When he spent time with his friends or family, he said, "This could be the last time." And if we frame it like that, what the hell is important? Spending that time with your child, your your family, your your loved ones, or getting to the office? So it's about prioritization. What do you prioritize in your life? And if we don't prioritize the most important things to us and put them first, then what's going to happen? Distance, disconnection, unhappiness, hmm. stress.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I think like two years ago when I went to your mindfulness class, um, before this before this class, I was always in the future. I was always obsessed about the future. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be happy when I, you know, when I graduate, when I enter, I don't know, when I achieve X, Y, Z, whatever. But that's simply untrue. And I think, I think you pointed at the flaw in my thinking, saying, okay, because I think what happened during that meditation class was, um, you bet, we we did the meditation and we had to give our thoughts on the meditation. And I was the first person to speak in the room and I mentioned I I was saying something like this, I'm really enjoying this and I can't wait to do it in the future. Something like that. And you were like, Right, I can I can I have two points for you. First of all, thank you for enjoying this. And second of all, well, why are you thinking about the future if you're doing this meditation class right here, right now? Enjoy it while you can. And ever since that day, genuinely, like, um I was like just my mind shift shifted completely and I started reading books such as the power of now by Eckhart Tolle and all these other mindfulness living the present spirituality books um, and it made a difference in my life and yeah i guess i guess i can see i can relate to the fact that you know people obsess too much about the future and never appreciate uh, the moment and i think whenever you are in the present moment even in the most stressful situation even when there's so many things going on you can always just relax be at ease and just focus on that one thing you have to do, and just keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it's. Uh, I know I was able to point that out to you because it's one of the biggest challenges I have in my life is oh doing that. <laughs> so it's, I suppose, in some ways, a lot of the I've become wiser by mistakes mm. because I've learned a lot of things by doing things wrong or seeing, you know, other people make mistakes. Mm as compared to innate wisdom. So experience, there's no substitute for experience. Mm. But um, yeah, it's simplifying. It's simplifying things is really important. Keeping things very, very simple. Yeah. Don't complicate them. Mm-hmm. So in complex system theory, they look at an, uh, say a, um, an ant farm and there's queen ants being nursed. There's ants looking after the the, the, the baby ants. There's uh, there's soldier ants, there's yeah. scavenger ants, there's ants repairing the place. There's a huge amount of activity going on. But it all goes from one chemical message from one ant to another ant. Hmm. That's it. A yes, a, a one and a zero. It's a really simple message. And when we can bring things down to its simplest point, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Right. I think I, the Seneca quote, um, it is, not that we, it is not that things are difficult that we don't dare to do. We don't, it is when we don't dare to do that things are difficult. Mm. Like if we can break things down and just go, what am I going to do today? I'm just going to maybe smile at somebody.
2: And
0: that's it. That's it. Because if you smile at people, they're going to smile back at you. Mm. And when we start looking at how the world isn't something that just happens to us. We play a role in it. So what I find now is if, if I'm going to say something maybe a little bit aggressive or snappy, I try and ask myself, am I tired and am I stressed? Mm. And if the answer is yes to those, then I try and be quiet. I try and say, well, I can say that thought later, but it will come from a different place. And it can be very helpful because most of the time we ever become irritated it's because we're tired or we're stressed. So it's the classic case of, you know, the again a classic fundamental attribution error that we make. If somebody cuts across you in traffic, mm. and you know you're kind of glaring at them, they glare back. They start shouting at you, using bad language. You suddenly become defensive. You're furious. How dare they? They cut across me. They were in the wrong, and then they're cursing at me and. Your tummy, your stomach gets tight. Your shoulders get tight, and that goes into the rest of the day. You mm. become a defensive and aggressive. You have cortisol, adrenaline, neuroadrenaline. Your fight and flight is fired up. But say you were told later on that day that that person who cut across you was trying to get to the hospital because someone they they loved had had, had a bad accident. Mm. You go, wait a minute. Okay, hang on. How would I have acted if I had been in that situation? Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe they're not just a horrible person or aggressive person. Maybe they were just highly stressed. Um, so, as in part, uh, my, my, uh, I've written a book that I'm trying to get published at the moment called Re- Reclaim Your Past, Reset Your Future. And mm-hmm. it's all about seeing how we can alter our past by changing the emotional value we have on the event or the thought that we've had. So someone cut across you, and the emotional value you attach to that is a defensiveness, anger, aggression, hard done by. And the more times these things happen to you in life, the more sensitive we are and the amygdala kicks in, the fear center in the brain. But if someone can say, hey, that person was going to the hospital, and we can have can develop a bit of, compassion empathy you suddenly look at that event and go ah i would have acted reacted the same way probably Hmm. and the thought that's being locked in by the initial emotion is now the emotion applied to that thought changes and that allows the thought to be looser because we don't prioritize it highly oh i don't have to worry about that that's not something that i need to be concerned with Whereas if we're defensive and we're, we're, we're oh my God, I, I have to protect myself against the world, then we have a very high value on the emotion that we've applied to the thought. So we can look back on our past and alter it by becoming mature, becoming having more understanding. So, so a great example for a lot of people is when people fall in love. Mm -hmm. the world is beautiful colours are brighter sounds are sweeter tastes are magnificent and maybe somebody did uh, you were hard done by by somebody but you don't care anymore you're like the value that you place on that event maybe went from an 8 to a 2 because you're in love and it doesn't matter but if you're under pressure if you're stressed if you're anxious suddenly those thoughts the priority in those thoughts can go higher so it's the emotions that we apply to events can often affect how important they are to us. Hmm. And as we can learn to love ourselves more, to, to be kinder to ourselves, to be, to be more forgiving, and then if, when we can be a bit more forgiving for others. So no happy person wants to hurt anybody else. True. Sure. And when we understand that, a lot of the times if we're hurt by somebody, it's because they're damaged. Mm. Now, even if it's hard to forgive them, understanding what has occurred stops making it maybe so personal. So when we can stop personalizing, it's all about me. Mm. As my teacher pointed out, Dave, you're not the center of the universe.
1: (laughs) He was right. And you know, on the topic of not being center of the universe and you also mentioned you know the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step Lao Tzu yeah, Lao Tzu, yeah and in the Tao Te Ching mm-hmm. so I'm curious like because you have a Taoism background and um, could you just kind of explain what Taoism is I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly <laughs> and what, what that really is and you know what's it all about because um, yeah that book has a lot of wisdom in there and there's a lot of different translations and it's kind of difficult to understand sometimes what it, what it's actually saying but can you just kind of yeah provide what or say what Taoism is? Um, yeah,
0: Taoism. The Taoists were a very practical group, mm-hmm. so they were the kind of scientists of their day two and a half, three thousand years ago, and they they wanted to see what was happening in the body, what was real, mm-hmm. and they're quite sharp. So they're maybe a bit more like the Zen's. They don't care so much
2: mm-hmm.
0: of what people think. So at the time, say, Confucianism is very much about face and about doing the right thing. Whereas the Taoists are much more straightforward and going, does, it, does whatever you're doing add to the quality of your life? If it doesn't, then why do it? They understand that maybe being promoted could be the worst thing that'll happen to you. Hmm. You know, what brings you real contentment? So Taoism primarily works with the symbols that most of us would recognize is the yin and yang. Mm-hmm. So there's a circle, black with a white dot, white with a black dot. And what it does is it represents the flow between different um, opposites, between extremes. So in the Tao Te Ching, they'd say things like, when beauty is born, so is ugliness. Mm
1: -hmm. You can
0: only have tall when there is short. Mm -hmm. You can only have... Far away when there's near. You, Everything creates opposites, light and dark. If there's no light and there's only dark, then it just is what it is. It's like a fish swimming in the sea. They don't know they're swimming in water. There's no, nothing to compare it against. And we live in this world where most of the time we're competing against opposites, the yin and the yang. So in practical terms, you could look at, in the brain we have the fight and flight um, flop and freeze and we have the rest and digest, free feed and breathe the autonomic nervous system right. and they're t- constantly pulling against each other so the Taoists would look at that as the yin and yang hmm. they're the opposites, and the main purpose of Taoists is trying to find balance and true balance they believe that compassion comes and having a healthier better life so that's the real key in Taoism, how do you find balance? In everything. So, I talk about the five pillars of well being, and I created a, vi- um, a YouTube channel there just last week called The Mindful Spark. And in one of them, I have a video series called a ha- a Happiness in Your Hands. And I talk about the five pillars of well being, mm-hmm. and it's sleep and rest diet, exercise, social interaction, and self-awareness. So the Taoists would look at that and go, okay, well, if you're making sure that you're getting enough rest in the day, you're probably going to sleep better. And if you're resting and sleeping better, you're more likely to maybe eat better. And if you can have a more balanced diet, you're more likely to exercise. If you're doing those things, you're probably going to be much more socially amenable. You're going to be less caught up in things. You're more likely to smile. So... Because you'll be more likely to be in the, in the um, rest and digest part of the brain. And then you have the social, or the self awareness. So when we're fit, we notice when we're stodgy. We notice when we're tired more. We notice if we've been eating the wrong foods. We're more sensitive to our bodies and right, our moods. Yeah. So it a real practical way of looking at life and going, well if you look at those five things, you're probably going to have a, a more contented life. And a lot of people that ask me, you know, they talk about meditation and mindfulness, and they think it's something highfalutin, wooey like how is it practical? And in 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 the Tao de Jing and Swansa and some of the other Taoist sages, their complete goal. Their fundamental purpose is how do we integrate what we know into our day. Mm. So philosophy moved away. It became an intellectual pursuit. But originally back with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, it was something that was lived. You know, again, with, with the Stoics, it was something that you lived. It was a way of living. It wasn't a way just of thinking. Hmm. and that would feed very much into the Taoist approach that was a very long-winded answer to your
1: question I apologize no no um I loved it and you know the Tao Te Ching So it essentially just means well like you said balance but I also got the impression that you know you kind of go with the flow of life just kind of like be at ease whatever happens just go with the flow and maybe something will just happen because you go with the flow is that is that a teaching there too
0: one of the fundamental principles is a thing called wei woo wei, or woo wei, mm-hmm. action non action. Right. And what it primarily you could translate it now to is getting out of your own way. So every one of us has biases, has preconceptions. And when we can loosen those, we can see what's really going on. When we can understand, like back to the, am I tired, am I stressed? Mm. Oh, it's not Dom giving me a hard time. Mm. It's because I'm perceiving that I'm getting a hard time. So our perception of the world determines how we see it. And again, if you fall in love, you perceive the world as a beautiful place. But if you fall out of love and you lose your job or your health goes, then the world is a terrible place. But the reality is... The world hasn't changed. You have. Does that Mm. make sense? Mm. So with Wu Wei, it's learning to have natural action. And in Taoism, they'd have a thing called a 70% rule. So if you can do 10 press-ups, only ever do 7. But if you do 7 press-ups for the next week, you can probably do 12, so then you might start doing 8. Right. So you're not going to get hurt and injured. You're getting the maximum return for the least amount of effort. And again, that's one of my fundamental challenges. I keep throwing myself into things, writing books, doing uh, YouTube channels. I'm doing my second master's by night in 10 years. I got a black belt in taekwondo. I was kept pushing myself. And... It's trying to learn to enjoy what you're doing rather than getting to the goal, to the end. Right, enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. So uh, Smith, the, the Irish rugby coach, would talk to the players and go, you just focus on the next tackle being correct, mm. the next pass being correct, the field position being correct. You only focus on them and don't worry, let go of the outcome. Right. So in, in, in the Stoics would talk about uh, Amo fati. And that would be literally letting go of what you can't affect. Mm. And don't be concerned with it. And many of us are caught up with what will be and we're living in the future. We're, you know, mm. driven by our past. Our, our past kind of is the platform for the present and projects into our future. And we can start going, no, I'm not going to let my, my past project into the future. I'm just going to be open to it. And whatever happens it's good because I'm going to have learned from the experience. And when you do that, because we don't know any event that happens in our life, whether it's going to be good or bad. Hmm. So a classic Taoist story is of the, the farmer and he had a horse and there was a storm one day and big lightning and thunder and the horse panicked and broke out of the corral and ran away right and the farmer very concerned but the neighbor called over knocked on the door (gasps) oh dom terrible to hear about that storm and your horse gone away and you won't be able to plow your feeds and transport your goods and you you know your family could starve this is the worst thing ever happened to you Hmm. and dom being a Taoist said well we'll see And a couple of days later didn't the horse come back down the mountains with another horse, a wild horse. Mm. (laughs) Well the neighbours back over Dom, best thing never happened to you, that storm. You've two horses now, twice as much ploughing, twice as much transport. You'll be richer, man. Fantastic. And Tom being a placid lad said, Well, we'll see. You know, he was he was content, he was happy, like, but he said, We'll see. And his son tried to break in the new horse and the horse threw him and the son broke his leg and the neighbor's back oh, the worst thing ever happened to you that storm because now the wild horse who broke your son's leg sure it might never heal who'd marry him now how can he help you on the farm all oh, terrible and again dom's con- you know he's worried but he, you know we'll see and a couple of weeks later one of the local warlords comes around, tries to conscript all the young men from the village and say, look, they're going to be in the vanguard. You probably won't ever see them again. And the farmer goes, well, you can take my son, but he's a broken leg. Oh, he's no good to us. He can't march. The neighbours back hearing of this going, the best thing ever happened to you was that storm because now your son is is going to be alive. And the moral of the story is, we never know what is a good or a bad thing. And Mm. sometimes the worst things that have happened to us can turn out to change the direction of our lives in a much healthier and better way. So for me, having gotten sick after that holiday and getting chronic fatigue forced me to look at my own vulnerabilities, my own insecurities, my own flaws. The the, the things that I had done that I'm sorry for are and having, learning forgiveness for myself and everybody else and at the time it was terrible but I can reflect back now going that changed, and just like you with, with coming to the meditation class sometimes you just something happens and it changes the, the direction of your life so th- that principle of the Taoist farmer is really important let go of, the, of, of, of what you think is going to happen and just go with it, mm. go with the flow move with it natural action does that answer your question
1: it does and now i also want to ask about so we mentioned stoicism we talked about taoism but there's also spirituality and like in the books the power of now and so on and just on topics of mindfulness not that you should stop thinking but you should avoid thinking as much as possible because not, not that you should avoid it but like basically a lot of us just overthink things we think too much so I'm I'm curious to know, like, um, what's the kind of approach there? Like, how should you live every day? Like, should we always be this in you know, a monk-like state, monk monk monk-like state, not really thinking about too much? Because the way I see, I think Stoicism is kind of for the mind, and then spirituality is for the mind, and so on. Like, what are your views on that?
0: Well, let me answer, ask you a question: Of every thought that you've had in your life to date. As a percentage, how many of them were actually helpful and relevant to you in the moment you had the thought?
1: Oh, very, very few.
0: (laughs) So it's funny, we cling on to this idea of, oh, I can't not think. Mm. But if you... Here's another question. The happiest times in your life, were they an experience or were they a thought? Experience. Right. So what's more important, thinking or experiencing? Experience. So you already know the answer to your question when you stop and think. Mm. And that's a huge fundamental thing. That we, we, when people stop and we ask the questions of ourselves, we have the fundamental answers already inside of us. Mm. So there's a yin-yang, thinking, not thinking. <gasps> it's a pull, it's a drag, it causes tension and stress. Mm. But if you're content, it's not that you, that you stop thinking, It's just you don't need to be concerned with your thoughts. Right. So the brain is like a thoughting machine. Its job is to throw up thoughts. And the mind's job, particularly as we learn to become more attuned with what's going on and recognize the patterns in the head, we can start going, well, that thought isn't helpful or relevant, so I'm just not going to be, thank you for it, but I'm actually doing this, or I'd like to have a different thought. And the mind—it's not that you don't you stop thinking, or you suppress thoughts because anything we thoughts you resist will persist. Hmm. Anything you push down will have to come back up. And it's when we sit with those thoughts and we realise they're not helpful at the time. So I think uh, some psychologists did a study in Harvard and they had developed an app and. They it would ping and they would just come up and say, you know, are you thinking about what you're actually doing now or something else? Mm. And they found that 47% of the time respondents said they were thinking about something completely different when they were doing something else. Mm. And it was a bit like back to the person who was having the issue with the, the children. If we're not in the present, we're missing out completely. And say one of the, the third week of the eight-week course I do... It's about getting people to recognize and label is your thought that you're having now is it about the past? Is it about the future? Is it fantasy? Or is it about the present? And when you start learning to label the thoughts initially the brain tries to throw up more and more thoughts. It, it's, it's vying for your attention. It wants to be the loud voice. And as we learn to label them and just recognise them, they start to diminish. Mm. And it's important to, and it can be helpful to know that through the evolution of the brain, we learned to have a focus on the ne- the negative narrator in our head. Mm-hmm. So often the analogy that's used is you're walking through the African savanna, and you look up that you know this is thousand thousand years ago. You look up and there's a there's a bush and there's a beige shape behind it. And you know there's lions around the area, and you say, hmm, is that a lion or is that a rock? Now, if you decide it's a rock and walk up to the bush and you're wrong, how many times are you going to get to make that mistake? Not many. (laughs) Probably once, right? But if you decide, oh, it could be a lion, and you go the other way, how many times can you make that mistake? Many more times. Every time. So we do have a leaning for thinking and particularly negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. In some of the books they talk about, like I think it was in the, the Hardwired for Happiness, um, thoughts can be like, often seem like, or negative thoughts are like Velcro, where happy thoughts are like Teflon, they seem to slip away. And in this, think, you, you asked me about thoughts. We often get to a point where the, the negative narrator in our heads, again, particularly when we're tired, when we're stressed, when we're anxious, gets louder and louder and louder. But our intuitive, our, 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 our kinder self, whispers. And it's only when we can learn to quieten the narrator that we can hear the real answers from ourself. Hmm. So... The Power of Now, a lot of, the, a lot of the New Age books, a lot they talk about dealing with thoughts. But in Taoism, they would dismiss thoughts altogether and say, just deal with the body and don't worry about the thoughts. Right. Because if you are calm and relaxed in your body, if you are in the uh, feed and breed, the, par- the parasympathetic part of your nervous system, your thoughts will be calmer. So they mm. nearly dismissed them. And that's where they conflict with psychology, which is all about the thoughts. Mm. And it's a different way of coming at a problem. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about what thoughts you have, because you've already answered that most of them are not helpful. (laughs) They're rubbish. Mm. And when you understand that, initially, it's a bit of a shock. But it's very freeing to know that you don't have to be concerned about your thoughts, because most of them are not helpful, not relevant in this moment. And it gives you the capacity to be able to let them go.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. But the reason why I wanted to ask that question is because you know, you, Taoism says you know, um, don't don't think about your thoughts whatsoever. Just focus on the body, whatever. Then the mind from this book tell you, okay, stop thinking too much, whatever. And then Stoicism is like you know, um, use a rational mind, make logical decisions, blah 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 um so what's the optimal way to live like what how should what should the optimal state look like and you said like psychology contradicts that completely and said just focus completely on your thoughts so i'm curious to know like um you know from all these teachings what can we learn to yeah to live to live a more meaningful joyous less i
0: think think you need to go back and read some of those books again because yeah definitely (laughs) they don't say you know Oh, don't worry, but just what they what they say is: notice what you think about, mm. notice how you feel, and when you notice the same thing coming happening over and over again, then you get a chance to look at that. Why is it? So uh, another, I, I I try and use stories as good ways of communicating across mm-hmm. answers. So. There was two monks walking along by the bank of a river. And they heard a woman asking for, crying for help. And the older monk went over, and there was a woman there, and she was really well-dressed. And the footpath over, the, over the, the river, the, the stream, had, had collapsed. And she was like, oh, I'm late for my brother's wedding, and, and if I wade through, I'll, I'll be, destroy my clothes. And the older monk went over, picked her up into his arms, waded across the stream put her on the other side waded back and the two monks continue on their walk and the older monk noticed the novice he's agitated all day three or four hours he's agitated he's agitated and they finally sit down and they make their fire for their evening meal and the older monk finally turns around to the novice and said what's bothering you and the novice went. I can't believe you picked that woman up. We have vows against you know fleshly contact, and 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 really upsetting me. And the the older monk smiled and said, "Tell me something. How is it that I put her down four hours ago, but you're the one who's still carrying her?" All <laughs> mm. the tra- traditions ultimately are trying to get to that point. Right. Right. We, again, it's not about suppressing thoughts, but it's about seeing how irrelevant most of them are. And then you can start using your brain for what you want to think about, rather than just being led by random thoughts that happen to come up and take you down a story loop. Right, okay, okay. Okay. Mm. So, another great example is the Indian tribe who developed a system, and they'd get a coconut. And there was some monkeys nearby who were stealing their food. So what they did is they got a coconut, chained it to the ground, cut it open and dropped a banana in it in front of the monkeys so they could see it. And then the villagers walked away. And one of the monkeys, particularly cheeky, saw the villager move and down the tree, over to the coconut, put his hand in the coconut, grabbed the banana and couldn't get out. Because his fist, his hand would fit in. But once he grabbed the banana and made a fist, the hole in the top of the coconut wasn't big enough for him to pull his hand out. Hmm. Now, the villager could walk up easily and just throw a bag around the monkey because the monkey didn't have the capacity, the problem-solving ability to know that if he opened his hand, he was free so how how was the monkey trapped by, t- by attachment attachment now we're getting into buddhism mm. right excuse me so when the monkey le- when we learn to let go because every single one of us have those coconuts in our inside of us mm. where we are holding on to things that are causing us to be trapped And when we can learn to see that by watching our thoughts, by watching our emotions, by watching our physical sensations and seeing what's going on and seeing how they interact with each other, we can start noticing, wait a minute, I'm thinking like that all the time and maybe that's not true. Maybe that person who cut across me isn't a terrible person. You know, we, when we can start using these analogies in everyday life and applying them. So we overcomplicate things. Hmm. Which monk do you want to be? Do you want to be the novice or do you want to be the older monk? The older monk. Right. Do you want to be the trapped monkey or the freed monkey? The freed monk. Who can do that for you? Me. Can anybody else? No. No. And this is a huge... This is a huge point that many of us have to realize that the only person who can really, truly help us is you, is me. And that gets back to everything I've been saying about external things. It's, external things can, can be helpful. But if you're dependent on my mood for your happiness, is that <laughs> then you've no control over it. Yeah. and what's the serenity prayer Lord give me the, the give, give me the, the courage and strength to change what I can to accept what I can't and the ability to know the difference mm. so it's back to keeping things really simple the, the Stoics back to the, the, the memento more we are all going to pass everything is going to pass Buddhism Everything is 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 transient. Hmm. Back to the Taoism, it's about getting the middle way between yin and yang. Noticing when things pull at our attention that cause us frustration, because most of the time it's in ourself that it, we can resolve it, and that's difficult for a lot of people, particularly when they're in a painful scenario. Is and it's bringing them to that point. Where they can start having the courage, the strength, the capacity to help themselves. Mm. Yeah. So, some of those books are really good, but reread them because I think you might have slightly. And and it is an important point. Forget about thoughts because if you if you just hold the image of the monkey in your head or the monk, those two things alone, or the broken pot, hold those three things three things in your head, and then. That will be very freeing.
1: Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that completely. Um, on like on the topic of those books, like I'm always rereading them and always reading like certain passages f- from the books because I just have by my bedside table, and it's just maybe the way I articulated the story, I didn't um, quite portray what I wanted to say fully. But on the topic of the YouTube channel and you know your book that you've written and when to be published, uh, reclaim your past, reset your future. I know you talk about this in much, much detail in the book and in the YouTube channel, but there's like five key five key areas of that. You talk about the mindful story, the science, the mindful movement, and the mindfulness practice. What does that actually mean?
0: Okay, so I, I run the UCD Mindfulness group here with some like-minded colleagues, mm-hmm. and from teaching over the last five years, I started started to make notes because people would ask, oh, I keep forgetting what you're telling me. Can you make some notes? And I started trying to identify what resonated with people. And I found that the one thing that everybody seemed to, who seemed to be universal is they remember the stories more than anything else. Mm. And we've been telling Humans have been telling each other stories for tens of thousands of years, and it's a wonderful way of getting a message across and, and, and getting people to connect with an idea. So I try and start with a story to, 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 to get people into a state of mind to understand the the approach that's going to be taken in that week. And what I do then is move on to a, a short video, say in the channel I do this and I'd have a short video on the science so uh, I'll give an example of one of the, 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 the weeks, so say in week one I tell the story of the boatman and in the boatman the, there's a, a lakeside resort and there's three scientists who've won awards and they've got the acclaim of their, their peers and they decide they want to hire a boatman to take them out to the middle of a lake and the boatman brings them out to the middle of the lake and there's a mathematician, a chemist, and a physicist. And they're talking about Gaia principle and Big Bang and, you know, very complex uh, uh, scientific questions. Right. And the mathematician looks up and sees the boatman looking at them. And he says, what do you think of what we're talking about? And the boatman puts his head down and says, I'm sorry, I don't understand anything you're saying. And the chemist said, well, what did you study in college? And... The boatman said, shook his head and said, I'm sorry, I, I had to leave school when I was 12 and I can barely read. read." And the scientists looked at each other, shook their heads and said, what a terrible waste of life. Now, about 15, 20 minutes later, suddenly a squall blows up. Big wind picks up and one of the scientists, being a nervous type, stands up, says, get us back to shore just as a wave hits the boat and it flips over. And the boatman starts swimming back to shore and suddenly he hears a cry, help, help, we can't swim. And the boatman looks back and says, what a terrible waste of life, right? So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story there is that knowledge is only good in a point in time. Doesn't matter if you understand everything about physics, if you're in deep water and you can't swim, you're in trouble, Mm. right? So it's teaching people to move from a point of wisdom than knowledge. And when we can learn to do that. So what's a wise thing for us all to do? The fundamental best thing that anybody can do to improve their life is probably learning to breathe correctly. When we slow our breathing, when we do abdominal breathing down into the, into the belly, when we can slow down our breath, it calms the body, puts us in that rest and digest state, It allows us to start healing ourselves. It's something that we can do, it's free, we can do it at any time, and it's fairly straightforward. So the message from the story of that week is, have a bit of humility, and what can you do that will improve everything in your life? Be wiser and say, okay, learning to breathe. So the boatman might have learned how to breathe, or in his case, he learned how to swim. And that was helpful for him then. Mm. So I then show the science of, okay, well, wisdom is maybe learning to breathe, learning to be able to connect with ourselves, give ourselves the space. How does that work in the brain? And I go through Dan Sagal's hand model of the brain, where he shows how the brain is developed and how we can trigger particular things in the brain by learning to breathe. And then it affects our hormones So our endocrine system, so we get happy hormones like dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins.
2: Hmm.
0: By having the wisdom to go, well, if I learn how to breathe correctly, these things will happen. It doesn't matter what thoughts you have. If you breathe in this way, your brain will perceive it. So part of that is learning to smile. So if you can breathe and smile at the same time, soften the muscles on each side of your mouth. And if, you, if you're in a place in your life where you're not happy, hold a teaspoon horizontally or a pen in your mouth and the configuration of the muscles in the face, the brain will interpret that as smiling and start giving you these happier hormones. Right. And then what I do is the third aspect is the mindful movement. So I use a qigong practice, a simple movement that's really good where the practitioner is focusing on raising their hands, say, pressing them up to, to the ceiling or the sky, and then exhaling, breathing in and breathing out. And the combination of the movement and the breathing, that synchronization, takes up enough mental bandwidth where you don't have the capacity to be complaining or giving out or doing anything else because all of it's used up doing this practice. And it's a lovely way of transitioning from a busy mind into being calmer. And again, we're not worrying about thoughts.
2: Hmm.
0: Right? So the initial part is using the thought, the story, to make people understand, oh, is there something to be learned here? This is what we're trying to achieve. The science is explaining, well, if we do the mindful movement and the meditation, this is what will happen in our mind. And then move into the mindful movement to transition to a quieter space, and then people are in a better place to do the meditation, which might be 15, 20 minutes of a meditation on how to breathe, say, in week one, better. So there's lots of different types of breathing. So does that answer your question?
1: It does, yeah. And you also mentioned, you know, breathing helps us heal. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that actually the case? In what way does it help us to heal? I'm very interested by this. What, what happens when you breathe? Um, what happens when I breathe? I get oxygen.
0: Right. And you dispel carbon dioxide. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you breathe high in your chest,
1: mm. right? I, okay. Less is your
0: body relaxed or is it, does that put you in a stress state? Stress. Right. So the autonomic nervous system, the fight and flight part of your brain is being active. We're in danger. Why are we breathing like that? What's going on? Oh my God, we might have to fight for our life or run away. So the endocrine system's triggered, the amygdala kicks in, you start getting the, the uh, uh, hormones that are, are going to help you to get away, which is cortisol, adrenaline, neuroadrenaline, those sort of chemicals. Hmm. Now, the problem is most of us are in that fight and flight. We're, we're all anxious. We all have something to do. I have to be there. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. I have to get that. I have to. And that puts us in a state where we're in slight fight and flight mode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And as we breed, learn to breathe deeper and slower, how do you feel when you breathe slower and deeper? Calm, peace, content. Right. So you're moving into the parasympathetic nervous system mm. you're now getting dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin endorphins, the happier hormones now there's four nerves in your brain that stimulate the rest and digest part mm-hmm. there are the octal motor which is the eyes the facial which is the smile glossial which is the throat and vagus nerve which goes from your, 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 your belly up through past your heart uh, affects your breathing, affects the throat, and goes into the head. So what I do in the meditation in week one is I get people to look down at a 45-degree angle. And if you even try it now, you'll notice that it takes some of the tension out of the eyes. It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right? Very simple. So we're stimulating that nerve, one of the, one of the happy, happy brain, the contented brain nerve, right? So you look down at a 45-degree angle and allow your eyes to have permission to rest. Hmm. Right? Give them, just say, chill out for a minute, eyes. Now, soften the muscles on each side of your mouth. And you'll notice that the mouth starts turning up a little bit, doesn't it? Hmm. So it's not that I'm saying, I want you to smile. I'm not saying that. We're still physiological effects. So we're not dealing with thoughts. This is purely physiological. You start softening the muscles each side of the mouth. You start getting dopamine. You're more likely to start getting dopamine and, and the happier hormones. The glossial frangle. If you sigh, go and do a sigh. Can you feel how that affects your throat? The throat goes in a little bit? Yeah. It's a great way of releasing tension, isn't it? Doesn't mm. a big sigh release tension? So when we can soften the eyes and look down, when we can soften the mouth and start making the shape of a smile, when we can exhale to allow and giving the permission of the body to relax, and when we can start doing abdominal breathing, so remember eighty percent of the serotonin that we get in our bodies is produced in our in our guts, and as we can learn to do abdominal breathing, so we 're breathing down, so if you put your hand on your on your stomach and mm-hmm. your belly, it ex- it ex- expand, expands on the inha- on the inhale and contracts on the exhale, yeah now what that 's doing is it 's massaging the organs around. It's changing the pressure in, in the belly, but it's also allowing the diaphragm to move freer. So we're getting more oxygen into the body. We're getting more oxygen into the body. That movement is improving vagal tone. There's nine times more information coming from the vagus nerve from the, the guts to the brain than the other way around. And again, science is showing that Uh, the better vagal tone we have, the more likely we are to be content. Ties in with serotonin. So the four nerves in the parasympathetic nervous system, when we activate those together, then you move into a sense of space, a sense of calmness, a sense of peace. And that's about transitioning so how do you get from a busy mind to a calmer mind that's how i take people through it and again i don't get them to think i don't say i want you to think this way we just get embodied
1: it just happens naturally kind of.
0: it happens as a side effect of doing the other things
1: Mm. and then so when you personally get overwhelmed or unfocused in general how do you tend to deal with that is that the usual approach you take um what what do you do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused?
0: Yeah, like in the past, I I might have got caught up, mm-hmm. and I, I, I would have got overwhelmed, and it lasts a lot longer. I would have dealt by going to the gym, over training, or drinking, or right. Okay, I'm much quicker now to notice mm-hmm. when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, and just notice when my breathing is going higher into into the chest, and noticing. Um, noticing when the shoulders are getting higher, noticing when the eyes are getting tighter. So we all have triggers, but it's only when we notice there's a different way of, of, of being. Like if you're stressed and anxious all the time, you only know tightness. Mm-hmm. Right, back to the yin and yang. If you go and get a really nice massage and your body is feeling very relaxed and you're like, oh my God, that was amazing. It will be more amazing the more stressed you are. To feel that sense of release. But in many ways, the best thing people can do is go get a massage. Feel how you can, your body can be, and then you have something to strive for. Yeah, Instead use that as a benchmark. Tech, yeah. you, exactly. Mm. So again, it's not thinking. We're saying go get a massage. Yeah. A really, there's some really nice, simple techniques like go for a walk for no purpose. And simply try and notice something around that you've never noticed before. Mm -hmm. So even in your local neighborhood, just try and notice something you haven't noticed before. So what do you think that does for you?
1: Well, it's awareness. Um, I'm just experiencing things without, without thinking, without labeling things. I'm just simply looking at it.
0: Now, if you layer on top of that, don't look at anything. Let the image come to your eyes. So if you even try that now, if you pick something in the room and rather than looking at it, just allow the image to come to your eye. Eyes. Do you notice the way it's slightly, there's less tension in the eyes?
1: Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, it, it,
0: put it this way. It's something, that, it's another Buddhist technique of being able to, so we're not having the intention of, I have to look at something. I right. have to. You what it. you're doing is just letting the world mm. come to you. Okay, So you're not projecting out. And often many of us project out. So if you combine that, allowing the image just to come your I don't have to force a stare at anything. Again, it's a bit like giving the eyes permission to relax and soften. And then by looking outside of yourself, you're not getting caught up in your internal judgment, your internal dialogue. And that can be helpful for other people, so... I know part of this is people who are listening, like what can they get from this conversation? What can they learn that maybe somebody else has, has used to help them? Hmm. Is is that...
1: Well, that's the intention, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully somebody will get something out of it. Um, yeah, no, because I, I found that pretty interesting because like, um, yeah, like usually... <laughs> The reason why I brought up these questions of thoughts and you know spirituality and stoicism and so on because I think like for example I always take the example of going for a walk or driving a car for example like those things when I'm doing these activities I shouldn't really be thinking about anything like now I, just, I let myself ah, I let myself like you said just kind of
0: you've all cre- you've already created a yin and yang you've created tension right okay. you said I shouldn't. Mm. So should and shouldn't is a yin and yang. Do and don't do. But you're already saying, oh, I should be suppressing my thoughts. If you're doing your belly breathing, Mm -hmm. if you're softening your eyes, if you're making a shape of a smile, if you're letting a couple of exhales go, your thoughts will come. So there's no should or shouldn't. It doesn't, and again, as you... Recognize what thoughts are you You just sit there and go well I'm just going to let any thought that happens happen that's okay but then you're not getting emotionally attached to your thoughts yeah and when you aren't emotionally so attached to thinking that's when you start going more into experiencing so at the beginning of this I asked you what's most important like the happiest times in your life was an experience
2: Mm, right yeah
0: right not a thought so being in love is an emotional is a mental and is a physical experience as people learn to meditate it's the merging of those aspects that allow for stillness to occur so in thinking
1: where do your thoughts come from? Where do they go? Same place, my mind,
0: a brain. What's an interesting thing is so if you stop, so if you take the next thirty seconds and say to your brain, "I don't want any thoughts," actually for three seconds, right? So oh, tell yeah, your thought
1: immediately comes on. Of course, your my thoughts. Head. Right. Yeah.
0: So, who's in charge? You or your brain? Who? Because um. your brain's going to throw up thoughts anyway. You've just said to your brain, "Don't give me any thoughts." And what's the first thing it does?
1: It gives me thoughts.
0: Right. So again, there was a story of the novice monk who was learning about this, and he said to to his uh, to, the, to the to the abbot said, "I oh, teach me about thoughts." And the abbot said, "Okay, I want you to go up to that cave, and for the next twenty four hours, I don't want you to have any thoughts." so the monk goes up to the cave 24 hours later comes back to the abbot tail between his legs oh i failed i'm a terrible monk i'll never i'll never be able to pass i i'm no good and the abbot said what happened And he goes i just couldn't stop thinking and he goes oh i see he said well okay now i want you to go up to the cave for 24 hours and i want you to just keep thinking doesn't matter what you think about just keep thinking so the monk goes, okay, that'll be much easier. That'll be much easier because I spent the last 24 hours thinking. No problem. Goes up to the cave. Next morning, comes back down, tail between his legs, head down. Oh, I failed terribly. I kept trying to think, but, but then I kept having these gaps and I, I couldn't think. I'm, I, I, I don't understand thoughts at all. And he goes, no, you do. If you try not to think, thoughts come up. And if you try to keep thinking, you'll find how exhausting it is. Like as an experiment, if you try and say, right, I'm going to keep thinking for the next 30 seconds, but you can't do anything practical. Don't make a list or anything. Just keep having thoughts. And every time there's a gap, throw in another thought. It's exhausting. But that's how the brain works. So the human brain is not, doesn't work for us or against us. It's only concerned with the process of thinking. Thinking. And the more we think, or the more we think about a subject, the more resources the brain allocates to that. Mm -hmm. So say negative thinking. So, God, I'm a terrible person. I'm no good. I'm useless. Um, um, I should just give up. And Mm. I think that two weeks ago, and I think that last week, and I think that today, and I'm probably going to think it tomorrow. The brain goes, oh, Dave is thinking about this thought. Let's make it as effective and efficient as possible. Right? And I'll throw resources at that thinking. So I'll get better and be able to do those that negative thinking quicker and more effectively. Now, if I practice mindfulness meditation, qigong, tai chi, yoga, any of that sort of thing, and I spend my time focusing on what it feels like to have my feet connected to the ground or what my breathing is doing, Mm-hmm. The brain goes, Oh, hang on, no, no, we're giving all these resources to this negative thinking. What are you doing? I'm going, Yeah, I know there's negative thinking, but I'm just going to, I just want to focus on my my breathing at the moment, on the breathing. Now, there's a thing called synaptic pruning in the brain. So the brain goes, Well, hang on, if you're not using all this resources for thinking negatively well then i'm going to take some of these resources and apply it because he's now thinking about breathing so i want the resources to go into how to breathe better and that's how the brain works the brain doesn't care whether your thinking is good or b- bad outcome for you it only cares that you're thinking and the type of thinking you're doing does that make sense
1: hmm it does
0: So when we understand that the brain isn't working for us or against us, and the brain's job is to throw up thoughts, it's our job to recognize those thoughts, know what it is, and go, do I want it or not? Back to, is it relevant or helpful in this moment in time? So we've already realized that most of the thoughts we have aren't helpful or or, or relevant. We know that if we move into our body, if we, if we uh, do some of those practices, that the thoughts will quieten. So, does that answer some of your initial questions?
1: Hmm. Hmm. That
2: no,
0: wasn't well,
1: non-committal. Mm. No, it does. It does. And what are some popular misconceptions about mindfulness, meditation, anything that fits within that bracket? What are some misconceptions?
0: some huge ones or this, I I would have asked similar questions to what you asked. Uh is it about not thinking? Is it uh, you know is it about being numb? It's not. It's about really fully experiencing things. But being open. I I suppose another misconception was uh, oh you're just happy all the time. And that's not true either. We're human beings. So there's there's a great phrase, you know, Before enlightenment, chop wood, uh, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. What does it mean? It means even if you've reached the point of enlightenment, you still go to the toilet. Hmm. You still might have stomach cramps. You still are going to have people around you who are going to suffer or, or, or pass away. You're still going to have to live in the world. So it's not that suddenly you're only happy all the time like the, the Dalai Lama the, he was being interviewed and he was told about a child who he knew who had passed away and he got very upset about it and he cried and that was, that was then about 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later a journalist had told him a joke and he laughed and somebody said how can you laugh now because 10 minutes ago you were crying and he goes yes but I felt that fully then and I'm feeling this fully now so It's not that you are in a particular state, but you're open to all experiencing everything fully and just being more aware of what you're experiencing. So a, a friend of mine once said, we should have equal rights for all emotions. So every emotion tells us something. So anger isn't a bad emotion. It's the action that we take from the anger that's the problem. But if you get angry, the question is, why are you angry? So what I would have learnt in my experience is somebody can tease you and say something about you. And usually in the teasing, the truth is the one that stings you the most. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's a great opportunity to go. Amefati, this is good this happened. Wow. I'm very sensitive about my eyesight. I'm very sensitive about proving myself. I want people to see, look at him, he's a great lad.
2: Hmm.
0: You can. We can start seeing from our emotions, from maybe angry, from frustration, from regret. Look, the other thing that's interesting about thoughts is everybody has, say, three types of, or well, we have. We, we tend to have three types. We have a public life, a private life, and a secret life. Hmm. All right, our public life, we have our face. Mm -hmm. This is what I show to those I don't really know. Now, that can be different to what people in our family might see. We let down our guards more. We tend to be slightly different. We're not on show as much. And then we have a secret life where we often don't even admit stuff to ourselves. Mm. But every single person probably that has ever lived has had thoughts that if other people knew what they were, they'd be excommunicated, <laughs> they would be uh, arrested, they would be uh, put in, a, in, a, in an asylum. They'd be They're would they just thoughts, but that's not who we are. Mm. And when we can learn to separate from those thoughts, but comedians are great. They'll say things and people are like,
1: oh, I can't believe he said that.
0: But you yeah. probably taught it yourself, but you yeah. never bloody admit it.
1: And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But that's not who you are. Hmm. We are not our thoughts. And when true meditation and mindfulness and, and these practices, contemplative practices, when we understand that we're not our, not our thoughts, that there's more to us, that when you start going behind your thoughts and behind your emotions and behind the physical sensations, that there's something deeper inside of us And it's the same for every single one of us. There is a spark of something. You can call it a soul. You can call it universal consciousness. You can put whatever tag you want on it. But we're more the same than we are different. Hmm. And you asked me about preconceptions about mindfulness and meditation going into it. I initially nearly play a role you identify, I'm a meditator, I'm going to behave like this. How should meditators behave like this? And I realized, no, that's another identity. Be natural, be real, be, be honest and truthful to yourself in the moment. And that, that's been a big learning curve, that there is no right way of anything in the sense of, no should and should not, because mm. that's just another yin and yang.
1: And you mentioned, you know, the soul or whatever you want to call it. So essentially, what is God then? Is God, what's God in your opinion?
0: Well, there seems to be lots of answers to that across the planet. But <laughs> from a Taoist approach, they, their attitude in some ways would be, well, if you don't understand yourself, why would you try and, you know, understand the concept of God so first, understand yourself. Mm. And I spoke about the, the balance. It's when we get the, the mental, the emotional, and the body in harmony that we can start going in. And that universal consciousness or spark or something inside us, that, to me, is probably the sense of God. But in Taoist terms, it'd be the Tao. So the Tao is something that permeates everything. It's in everything, it's, it's, it's what, what causes the world to exist. And when we can move in that harmony, so some religions would say God, some would say the Tao, some would say uh, 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 Buddha mind. So it's, in some ways we talked about what's helpful or relevant to be a happy, contented human being, if we can deal with ourselves first, then God will reveal himself, herself, itself in that. And again, it's not a mental process. It's an experience. And it can be different for all of us. So I wouldn't be comfortable, I don't think it'd be fair to say it is this way, because our experience of what's inside of us And when we can experience that quiet, that whisper, that's when we can start experiencing outside because we're not affected by our own perceptions of the world and we're more open. And actually the outside and the inside starts breaking down because we see that they're very similar. Hmm. We can start seeing that we're all more the same than we are different. There is something in us. You could start with the fact that most people want to be loved. They want to be valued. They want to be appreciated. Maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of scenario. Hmm. But when 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 we go further and sit and can be quiet and can be explore and be our own scientists, what's going on? That's when we can start getting a flavor of there's more here than maybe we're aware of. And when I'm t- if I'm talking to people and they ask me that question, I'd say, right, okay, your dog suddenly starts barking, but you didn't hear anything. So was there a noise? Well, yeah, the dog can hear a higher frequency than you can. We are limited in our capacity to experience the world. Mm-hmm. We only see a tiny part of the visual spectrum. Hmm. X-rays, ultraviolet, infrared. We only see in a very particular way. We can only hear a certain bandwidth. We only feel a certain amount. So some people have a much greater capacity for feel when the weather is changing. They start getting headaches. They feel the pressure building up. Other people don't. Um, When we can move into that more intuitive nature, then things start to unfold. And the answer for you or for for most of us is do it and then you tell me what you think it is
1: Lo, well dave i can talk about these things for literally hours days months even um but we do need to finish up at some stage so i think we're just going to close off with some rapid fire questions so what is the best investment you ever made now this investment it might be time it might be energy it might be money um yeah what's the best investment you ever made
0: uh doing tai chi because it's what helped me transition from not being able to face myself and having to be always busy having to be always distracted to having the strength and the courage to start maybe noticing what was going on inside myself. And when I faced the fears, they were no, nothing near what I expected. The fear of looking was much greater than anything I ever found. So probably Tai Chi.
1: In the last five years, what belief, habit or behavior has most improved your life?
0: Getting up earlier and doing the things that are important to me in the day and then... Um, when, when, when when the day goes chaotic, it doesn't matter. When I close my eyes at night, I go, how did I do today? Could I improve? The answer is always yes. Mm. And learning to be kinder to people. I am very driven. And when one is driven, you tend to be totally focused on something to get over the line. And that can be very difficult for people who are around you. So it's learning to... Remember that, uh, value the people who are most important to you and give them time, which I'm learning to be better at and struggling.
1: But I'm trying. What are you currently most curious about?
2: Um,
0: one of the science commentators said a great quote. He said... Um, As our area of knowledge increases, the perimeter of our ignorance expands. I'm most curious about what happens
1: in pure stillness. Mm -hmm. And what have been your most gifted or recommended books?
0: Recently, well, the Tao Te Ching probably by far that, the 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 best book but mm-hmm. another book i read recently was into the magic shop by james doddy uh really really nice read you'll feel you should feel better afterwards
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i'll link all these in the show notes of course when you think of the word successful who's the first person who comes to mind
2: I'm not sure the answer to that. But I do know
0: that, I know, I've learned that what's more important is not your position in life, but your disposition towards it. So people who have less money or or, are not as high in the the, the management scale often are much happier than people who have a lot more money or seem to have a lot more... um, Value in the social hierarchy, so most successful people who are more content, but it 's not what they do it 's who they it, it 's who they 're becoming it 's who they are it 's hmm. not what they have anybody in particular I really liked james Doddy he is the he has run the um, the compassion Institute another thing, person I think is re- very I would admire greatly uh, is Richard Davison. He met with the Dalai Lama and the Dalai Lama said, why do all you scientists only focus on the negative parts of the brain and, and psychology? Why don't you focus on the better parts like compassion, like, like empathy, like, like uh, resilience. Hmm. And he was the first neurologist who really went down that road. And he has started a wow. huge aspect of the mindfulness. He, he wrote a book called the emotional life of your brain. And he also wrote another book with uh, Daniel Goleman called Altered Traits, hmm. uh, 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 and it's about getting out of st- states. Sorry, uh, uh, it's about getting out of states and moving to a trait. So a trait is an underlying way we live, rather than bouncing from happy, sad, content, miserable, boom, boom, boom. So Richard Davison and James Doddy are two people I, I would admire greatly.
1: If you could master any three skills instantly, what would they be? Being more patient.
0: Um, When you say skills, do you mean activities? Or do you mean, like, I would like to be a better meditator. I would like to be better at Tai Chi. And I would like to be um, more compassionate.
1: If you could have three personal mentors, alive or dead, who would they be? The Dalai Lama. Uh,
0: Richard Davison. No, nobody's coming to mind.
1: Two mentors it is. <laughs> um, two.
0: The, the thing is, I'm learning that the best mentor is probably just, if I sit quietly and don't get, get out of my own way and see what happens, it's the best mentors inside each and every one of us. And that's probably the mentor I would like most to learn from. Wow,
2: yeah.
1: Um, just two more questions for you. So imagine you are dying and have no material wealth you're allowed to pass on one or two piece of thoughtful and useful advice to your young adult children. That is the only inheritance that you can leave behind. What do you tell them? What are the two to one lessons that you you will tell them?
0: I actually wrote a book for my daughter called Letters from a Mindful Father. And it's 60 letters that go through a lot of the stories like I told today and, and other ones to try and get the message across. And the first, what I have in the back of the book for her is, these are my mistakes. Feck off and make your own. <laughs> right? So the wise can learn from themselves, but the truly wise can also learn from others. So it's first seeing that. And the second would be, your intention intention should be for contentment, because then everything else is fine. If you're content, nothing else matters, because you're content. Mm. So how is it that we value that so low down our priority list? Seek contentment and everything else will fall into place because everything will be fine when you're content.
1: And the final question for you is what is your definition of chasing passion?
0: My definition is in many ways trying to It would be, as the YouTube channel, The Mindful Spark, it's trying to spark contentment, passion, seeing another way to live for other people, being a a role model, like I'm being blind, having a guide dog. It's, I think, Jason' passion for me. my, My passion is maybe showing that you can do something. It's only your own fears that stop you from doing it. And if I can lead and show, look what I've done, and people can go, hey, look at him, he's blind and he can do it, maybe it'll inspire them to, to have the courage to try things for themselves. And that alleviates then my suffering. My, my, my lack of sight then suddenly has meaning. And back to we started, we might as well end with Viktor Frankl, life search for meaning, or man search for meaning. Um, when we have a reason, when we have a why, we can put up with any how. It diminishes. I don't feel that I am lacking like the broken pot. It's now something that I can use to help other people to be more content. And if, they, if that happens even for one person, then I feel better. So that's my passion is to try and show people that there is another way of living when they're, when they're struggling.
1: Love it. Well, Dave, it was a pleasure. Um, just before we finish up, um, where is a good place to find you? So, of course, you have your channel, The Mindful Spark. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. Where else is a good place to go?
0: At the moment, no. I'm, um, I'm trying to... I've got the Reclaim Your Past, Re- Reset Your Future book written and the letters from Mindful Father. And I'm looking for publishers who might be interested in, uh, in taking them on. So, at the moment, they're the only really uh, multimedia places i have Mm -hmm. um i may do a website soon and if i do it'll be called the mindful spark Mm -hmm. but i'll certainly let you know if anybody does try uh, does decide to take up the book um i'll let you know
1: Mm. and of course i link all these in show notes and when books come out and anything else that comes out from dave i'll just update the website and you can find that on chasingpassionpodcast.com for slash 60 and dave any final thoughts any final remarks anything else you want to say just before we finish up
0: uh yeah i'd like to say one thank you i'm i'm delighted that we'd met before and is uh it gave you food for thought and two i think this this project you're on with the chasing passion is fantastic in that it's giving people a chance to share their Ability or they're, they're, how they've overcome adversity and, and sharing with other people. And again, it's back to the wise learn from themselves, but the truly wise can learn from others. And what you're sharing with people is fantastic. And the more of these that come out, just sparking interest in how we can be happier and healthier people, it's brilliant. So, no, thank you.
1: Thank you very much. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the show notes on the website ChasingPassionPodcast.com Just before we finish up, would you consider leaving a short review on Apple Podcast? This will take less than 60 seconds and it'll help me out so much. You can find a link for Apple Podcast in the episode description or just search Chasing Passion on Apple Podcast and you'll find it right there. If you do enjoy the podcast, give it a share. Tell your friends. It will be super, super helpful. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.